If you would, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to read the first 16 verses today. And you can probably tell from the way we're preaching here, we're not trying to rush through Matthew. You know, there's no reason to do that because it is very significant book of the Bible. It was used in the early years of the church almost like a gospel tract. So, you know, it's important to take your time and go through it so that we understand everything and we see Jesus for the way he wants us to see him. So reading along in chapter 5, I'm reading out of the New King James Version, so it may not be like yours exactly, but It says, And seeing the multitude, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but the salt loses its flavor. If the salt loses but how shall it be seasoned? It's good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Lord, add blessing to his word. You know, it's interesting in this starting part of chapter 5, the the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus speaks here with an authoritative message. One of the things people say, well, he doesn't teach like the scribes and the Pharisees. He teaches with authority. You know what's really interesting is that he gave that authority to his, his apostles. And they should be listened to. And he gives that authority to every man who's seeking to be God's servant in delivering the Word of God. I'm not saying you have to listen to every one of his opinions, but the Word of God does not lose its authority regardless of who's talking. It has authority. Remember, Jews expected the Jews expected a Messiah that would come in and be a great conqueror and, and uh, release them from bondage of the Romans, establish the Davidic kingdom again. It's primarily because they did not understand the two views of the Messiah in the Old Testament. The one view was a conquering hero. But the other one was a suffering servant and lamb of God. So when they come to the Sermon on the Mount, they hear something very unexpected. 
coming out of the mouth of the Messiah. The mountain he was on is probably a mountain by the Sea of Galilee called Tabga. And on top of it, there's just panoramic view of the Sea of Galilee and the surrounding area. This may be even where Jesus went to pray uh, and be alone. This comes, this first section that we read here is called the Beatitudes. Beatus is a Latin word meaning blessed or happy, boys and girls. Beatus, Beatitudes is a word meaning blessed and happy. But it's more than a temporary feeling or circumstance. It's a state of well-being by being in a, in a right relationship with God. That's what it is. Now, the Beatitudes, there are some who think that they should be looked at. There's actually different kinds of commentators that look at them and, and theologians in three different ways. One way they look at it is that Jesus was establishing a kind of kingdom living that was absolutely impossible for us to measure up to so that they would see their need for him. And that's probably true to some extent. A second one, two there's second that describes a type of kingdom living only available during a millennial reign. Well, that may be true too. But number three is that he's actually giving kingdom living principles for us now as disciples here and now. But they can't be attained any other way but total reliance on the Holy Spirit. I guess I would agree with number three. That's what he was trying to do. All of these Beatitudes, and let's do a little worship here, okay? All these Beatitudes describe Jesus. He was poor in spirit. What? How does that mean that? Well, I mean, we know he spoke with authority, but Jesus laid aside his position to come here and be entirely dependent upon the Father. And 2 Corinthians 8 9 says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... Yet for your sake he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might be made rich. So he was poor in spirit. He, those who mourned, Jesus mourned for his people as he looked over Jerusalem and wished them to come to him and called them to him, but they, they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't come to him. He was meek. He told people he was meek and lowly and gentle, and they would find rest for their souls. They could, like John during the dinner Lean his head on his breast. <laughs> he hungered and thirst for righteousness, but not just for himself, because he basically carried a scepter of righteousness, we're told in the book of Hebrews, and that he loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, he says, your God has exalted you among your brothers. And he was filled. He was merciful. He came to show and accomplish the mercy of God. Pure in heart, he was the person who sought purity and uprightness in every aspect of life. Peacemaker, he was the ultimate peacemaker. He reconciled us to God. And in Ephesians 2, 17, it says he came and preached peace. Finally, no one was persecuted more than him. It's constant from the first time he opened his mouth. He was constantly 
persecuted until actually all the way to the cross, which is the ultimate persecution. This is the Savior we worship. This is the Savior we serve. And these Beatitudes didn't very explicitly describe him. But it's supposed to describe us, too. So as we look at this, we have to consider that the Beatitudes that we today, as we listen to them, please look inside your heart. By the way, I just want to say something about Pastor Appreciation Month. If you look at the bulletin, I said it says a card, a gift, or a honk. Okay. Well, I obviously don't need anything sweet. Okay. So what blesses my heart more than anything is a honk or a card that says honk, honk, or something like that. What are you laughing at? What do you say? You sound more like an old jalopy than a, 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 a goose over there, but that's all right. So this is not a standard we can live up to. It's an outgrowth of a real relationship with God. And I want you to know as we go through this, I have examined my heart. I'm not going to tell you where I'm falling short here. I just guarantee you that I do. <laughs> but I want you to know also that I believe these are possible. I don't personally have never seen somebody with all of this, but I believe it's possible. Poor in spirit. Who is this person? Well, they are those who recognize that they are in need of God's help. They have to confess their spiritual bankruptcy. They have come to know that because of their sinfulness, they have to rely entirely on on Jesus Christ. It is said of them that theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because they're relying only on the righteousness of God and the blood of Christ for entry. How about those who mourn? Blessed are those who mourn. This is a person who realizes the spiritual losses as a result of sin. When shown their sin by God, they mourn in repentance. They long for God's forgiveness and healing. It's said that they shall be comforted, and they are comforted by the cross, where they see that God has removed all of our sins. Who are the meek and the gentle? These are the ones who do not assert themselves with their own agenda. Rather, they seek God's glory by doing things God's way. Now, when they're called to leadership, they need to be gentle, especially with the wayward. But if you see Jesus on this, they're also firm against heretics and rebellious because meekness is not weakness. You get it? They ultimately are satisfied because God can trust them with the earth, so they inherit it. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They recognize that God is the ultimate source of real righteousness. They long for His righteous character to be manifested through them. And they ultimately are satisfied with His righteousness as a gift that they're invited to take. David said in the Psalms, 
that he would be satisfied when God's image was stamped on his brow. And he said, when I rise, meaning from the dead. That's what's going to happen to you, brothers and sisters. You're going to be put back in the image of God. Not just an appearance, though, but a character of nature. Merciful. The one of the, this is one of the most difficult beatitudes in this group. So it should be the easiest. No. When somebody is mean and evil or slandering you or doing something to you that they shouldn't really be doing, as Jesus said they will, it's difficult not to defend yourself because it's our nature to do that. But when we show mercy, even for those who don't deserve it, which, by the way, I think that's us, (laughs) all of us, when we show mercy, it's evidence that we have received mercy from God and continue to receive mercy from Him. Who are the pure in heart? Well, this is people without their own agenda. They don't want to be friends with you to get something from you. They want to be friends with you to give you something, primarily God's love. They seek the purity in all areas of life, but they also seek it for you. The difference, look at the difference between this kind of internal purity and the kind that the Pharisees in their ritual so-called purity, external, they didn't have any purity in their hearts. And they were called whitewashed tombs by Jesus, which is a dirty, dirty place underneath the tomb, a rotten place. It is said of these people they will see God. Why? Because he's pure. It says in 1 John, it says this. In 1 John 3, we don't know what we shall be like, but we know that when he appears, we'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. And everyone that has this hope in his heart purifies himself. It's not the presence of sin, it's the presence of God's righteousness that gives you the ability to do that. And they're seeing God because they're pure like God. Peacemakers. <clears throat> By the way, this is not those who just bring a couple of brothers together who might be fighting. It's those who promote the messianic peace of Christ himself, the gospel, the gospel of peace, and bring the warring sinner, warring sinner into reconciliation with God by preaching the gospel. They are called sons of God, he says. Why? Because they're carrying out exactly the same ministry that Jesus came to carry out. They're all considered blessed. The persecuted, those who are wrongly treated because of their faith. This is the most common thing going on in outside of the United States today. These people show that God is pleased with them because they value him above everything else in this world. (laughs) And it shows in their lives. And they readily give up the things of the world, even in their own lives, as necessary. It's said of them also, as the poor in spirit, that theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It belongs to them. Now, these are all considered blessed in God's eyes. 
Imagine how this flew in the face or contrary to what they expected the Messiah to teach. But it is possible by relying on the Holy Spirit to live these things out. It'll never come out of your self life. It'll never come out of your flesh. It has to come from the Spirit of God alone. And yes, it is a standard too high. Yes, it is something we can't do. But it's something He can do. In fact, it says He called us to do that. In, in, in Romans 8, 29, it says, Those whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. That's what this is. That He might be the firstborn among many brethren. That's what this is, a conforming process. That's what the Beatitudes are. That's what we're supposed to look like ultimately in character. And finally, Jesus expands this idea of persecution to himself. And he says, if they're persecuting you or reviling you because of him. He's bringing it down very personal now. And your relationship with him. He says, not only is the kingdom of heaven yours, but your reward is great in the kingdom of heaven. Some people say, I'm just happy to get to heaven. I'm just happy to go. I made it. But that's not what God wants. God wants to strike up the band when you get there and... I'm going to use Jason here. I used Tommy before and embarrassed him. But when Jason comes in, he doesn't want to stand by the wall and go, wow, I made it. Oh, my gosh, I'm here. Good. Thank you, Lord. He wants to say, okay, angels, put them trumpets up to your mouth. Here comes Jason. Yay. Oh, God doesn't want us to come to heaven that way. You want to bet? In 2 Peter 1, he says that if you walk in similar kinds of beatitudes that your entrance will be abundant. Not just like, well, I'm here. Now, let me just say this. Only Jesus Christ can give you that kind of abundance. You start claiming that here, you're going to get in trouble and you're going to have a conversation with me or one of the pastors. (laughs) But... And you can have that conversation with me if you think it's happening. But here's the thing. He says not only the kingdom of heaven, but the reward in heaven. And it's not the kind of reward you get from this earth. This will last forever. And he says that these persecuted, that, that in that same breath, he says, like they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Wow. That's putting you in some good company. Then he talks about salt and light. And he says, he talks about salt first. And, and, you know, salt has two purposes. One is to season, make things taste better. And the other is a preservative. It's used for preserving things. As seasoning, it brings reason into the lives of people. We demonstrate the real reason we're here on this earth, so we can season every situation that comes with the gospel of Christ. We're supposed to be seasoning to this world. Now, we should be those who stand out and show people that Jesus is alive. 
Does the world always want this? No. Because just as salt seasons, it stings when you put it in the wound. Right? And sometimes that's necessary to sting. When the world is trying to make sense of things like all these hurricanes and everything, and we bring Jesus into it, it stings. Why would God let this happen? So many ask. But salt also can be for healing. When we're called upon to draw near to those who are suffering loss or suffering at all, the salt is the Word of God. And it can be a comfort to every believer. It's an attraction to the unbeliever. And God decides which of those things you're, He's going to use. All you've got to do is show up and be salt. <laughs> it doesn't tell you what kind of salt to be. Salt is a preservative as well. Salt, you know, have you ever, anybody ever had salt-cured ham? Okay. It's good, isn't it? <laughs> Soak that thing in some brine for a while. and Just don't give it to a Jewish person. They won't eat it. But it has several ways of preserving. I want you to think about something. In the conversation between Abraham and God, about Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham said, if there were 50 righteous men, 40 righteous men, 30 righteous men, 20, just 10 righteous men in Sodom, would you destroy it? And he said, no. Wow. 10 righteous men could have preserved like salt Sodom from actually getting fire and brimstone poured out on them. But they weren't there. There was only one guy, and he was pretty corrupt. A lot. The only thing preserving the nation of the United States right now is you. Just you. It's not your politics, your Republican Party, your Democratic Party, any party. The only thing that's preserving is you. If we weren't here, God had already started destroying this country. And in a sense, he's already judging it. But the thing is, our prayers and intercession for our country does preserve it. You don't think the liberals are praying to God, whom they don't believe in, for something, do you? No, they take action. They try to get in control. But here's the thing. One day, Todd Aiken was here, Paul's son. As you know, he used to be a a congressman. And I don't know what I preached. I have no idea what I preached. But he came back in that door after going outside. I'm standing over here. He comes up and shakes my hand and said, Preachers like you are the only hope for this country. Now, I didn't take that too personally because I'm not the only one. But what he was saying is that those who stand up for the truth, even in the face of people in their own congregation who oppose it, are the only hope for America. Because here's the thing. we got to stop thinking that there's an American flag in heaven. There's not. And there never will be. We are an outpost for the gospel. The left wing may overcome and rule and think they've got the upper hand. But I, I challenge you, the next time you get upset or you listen to Hannity or somebody and you go, oh, they're at it again. Read Psalm 2. Why 
Have the nations raised and the people imagined a vain thing against the Lord and against His Christ? They say, let us tear off their fetters and their bonds away from us. But God sits in heaven and what? Laughs. He says, for I have set my king on my holy hill. Jesus Christ the king is sitting right there. And he's really in charge. Not these other people. And we wring our hands about the liberals, about the left wing, about the this and the that, the murderers and people shooting people in Las Vegas or here or there. And oh, we got to get rid of our guns. That's not the problem. The problem's in here. In the heart. We should honor our flag and our comrades. We shouldn't kneel down and dishonor what our comrades in arms have fought to give us the freedom to get out on the ground and kneel during the national anthem. I'm sorry, I just don't respect those people. But, we need to tell people what the real issue here is. And they don't want to hear it. (laughs) Believe me, they don't want to hear it. But one or two are there, here and there, will listen and turn and come to Christ. And they're worth it. Amen? Amen? Then he also says he calls us to be light. Now we know that he himself has said that, that he was the light of the world, but now he's calling us that. And we're light because of our relationship with him. Like the small children saying, This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Not going to let Satan it out. I'm going to let it shine. They don't say, they usually go, I know. But he also likens us to a city on a hill. You can't hide an entire city that's setting up on a hill. I don't know if you've ever driven through West Virginia or not. Those mountains are beautiful. And most of their cities are in a valley and you come out of a mountain there's a city but some of them are up on top of the mountains and you can't miss them you can see them from miles away a city on a hill can't be hidden from any distance but may i just say this to you this church is a city on a hill now we're on a hill I know, <laughs> but <coughs> we are that city on a hill. This building is not important. None of these buildings are important. But we are a city, a people set on a hill. And we shouldn't be blurred or concealed by the world just because we're not happy with each other. We should be a city set on a hill that can be seen. Oh, okay. You know, it says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works 
that you, it's not, it's, it's not a command to go around looking for good works to do. That's silly. It says that you, they may see your good works. Listen to Ephesians 8, 2 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, we want to go do good works. We need to find out what God's will is first. Not just get together and say, hey, you know, we're a really a benevolent social club. Let's do some good things for people. No, God's saying, I've got works for you, and I'm not hiding my will in the dark. If you just seek to know my will, you'll see exactly what works you're supposed to do. But no, we like to launch out on our own sometimes and say, well, I'm going to do this. Anybody with me? <laughs> God expects us to walk in the works He's provided for us, and that's what we're supposed to do. He's not hiding His will in the dark. You can find it. He isn't up there going, I bet you can't find my will. (laughs) He's not doing that. When you do what He says, the world will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And that's why we're here. We're here to worship. We're here to evangelize. We're here to disciple. We're here to do what God has called us to do. Those are His works. Keep in mind, though, though the world the world will applaud your good works. They will not applaud your Jesus. They will not applaud your Jesus. He's an offense to them. So we've given, been given a pattern. The Lord Jesus has laid it out for us here in the Beatitudes and in these last scriptures we talked about. And basically we can't do it without him. Even Jesus said, I can do nothing at all unless the Father does it through me. All these things are admirable, but if we're honest, they're not automatically resident in us, are they? It requires the work of the Holy Spirit working from the inside out to produce this. If you're here today without Christ, none of these attributes are in you. Not one. You may be a very nice person. You may be a very moral person. But it's not enough. And guys, you you guys here, God didn't call you to be nice guys. Good family members. He called you to be salt and light. And that's offensive to people who don't like it. If you come and receive the gift of God, which is His Son, you will have an advocate inside of you to lead you into these things. Think clearly what's required. You cannot do anything to save yourself. The problem is you're already at odds with God if you don't have Christ. And you're simply waiting for judgment when you die. But Jesus took your place. He took your place. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was laid on His cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Should be your cry, oh, my soul. 
You know, I woke up this morning thinking this. I was talking to the Lord about 5.30 or so in the morning. And in thinking about the Lord, I was thinking about how hard it sometimes seems to trust Him. And the Lord spoke quietly to me and said, I'm not hard to trust. I'm love. <laughs> he isn't hard to trust. You don't trust Him because you don't know Him. He's, he's, he's harsh on sin. Amen, I agree with that. So harsh that he nailed it to a cross in the person of his own son for you. Somebody told me this morning in Sunday school class, well, here's why I come to church and it's not for you. Speaking John, it's not for you because it's for me. And I said, well, here's why I come to church. It's for you. I mean, I, I love fishing. I could be on a bank somewhere with a pole catching crappie or something or nothing. In fact, I don't care whether I catch anything when I go fishing. I just sit there. <laughs> it's nice. We're here for each other. We're here for this community. The Beatitudes that have been expressed to us are expressed that way so that we can see how far short we fall and then seek the, God, the, the God's Holy Spirit to make us into what he says will make us blessed in a right relationship with God. Sometimes I, 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 I want to tell you, I went and talked to a couple. I've, we get calls here all the time. Need help with my electric bill. Need help with my gas bill. Need help with my house payment. Do you all do that at your church? Well, this week a lady called me. Never met her before, lives in Clarksville. She's got to go to the doctor, and she needed gas for her car. And I thought, you know, I'm not going to pick up the call uh, phone and call this deacon and that elder and this one and that. I got 20 bucks in my pocket. That should be enough for gas. And I thought, I am tired of just getting these phone calls and doing nothing about it. So I got a tract, my card, and one of those New Testament Bibles that we've got boxes of down there and took it to them. And I knocked on the door, and the husband and wife came to the door. There were no children. I said, can I come in and talk to you? Here's your $20. They said, yeah, come on in. So I went in and sat down on the couch with them and chair. And I thought, I'm not going to let this opportunity go by without giving them what they really, really need. So I asked them a question. I said, can I ask you a question? She said, yes. And so did he. And I said, are you a good person? They both said, Yes. I said, does that mean you keep the Ten Commandments? Well, not all of them. I said, oh, really? Well, you ever taken the Lord's name in vain? Well, yeah. Stumped my toe. Yeah. Have you ever uh, lied? Well, yeah, but I don't lie often. I said, well, how many lies do you have to have to become a liar? I don't think they like that very much. But then I said, have you ever stolen anything? Well, a pack of gum when I was a kid. The value does not matter. You took something that didn't belong to you, right? And I was a lot more quiet about this than I am up here in the pulpit. And I said, now, if God judged you by those standards, would you be guilty or innocent? And both of them immediately said, guilty. I said, so in that case, what would be your destiny, heaven or hell? And they both responded, hell. 
And I said, doesn't that concern you? And the, the guy immediately said, yes, it does. He was listening. And they said, we go to such and such and such a church. How long have you been going? I forget how many long they said. And they have never heard the gospel before. So I said, now here's something I can show you that God did for you so that you don't have to go to hell. <laughs> and I shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. I shared how he paid it all. I shared how he rose again. I spent a half hour with these folks. And you know what they said at the end of that half hour? That sounds too easy. That sounds too easy. It is that easy. We don't want to make the gospel complicated by, well, you know, you have to accept Jesus and and add anything. Come to our church or keep our laws or keep our uh, rules or do this, that, and this, and that. That's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus died for your sins, rose again, and asked you to do one thing that's easy to do. Trust. And when you say it's too easy, I said, well, if it's that easy, why not do it? You're using this easiness, as you call it, as an excuse not to do it. They didn't like that. They were still friendly to me, but I was in their face with the gospel. You all ought to be. And they said, what do we do? I said, you just, I gave them the Bible. I opened them and started showing them scripture after scripture after scripture about simpleness of the gift of God and that Jesus paid it all and so forth and so on. And they looked at the scriptures and you could see, I could see at least in him, a light coming on. Folks, I'm nothing but a pile of dust with a precious cargo called the gospel. All I did was show up. They're not here. I don't know where they are this morning. But you know, Philip was called out in the middle of a desert to an Ethiopian guy who had gone to Jerusalem to find God and all he found was religion. God forbid that happens here that people come here and they don't find God. They just find a Baptist religion. God forbid. They need to come here and find Jesus when they come here. Evident and manifest in every single one of us. With joy. The gospel's not who. The gospel's joy. Remember the first time you realized you're forgiven of every sin? What kind of effect did that have in your heart? Somebody give me a testimony right now. How does it feel? Tell me. Well, you are saved right there, right? Okay, let's hear a testimony. Complete. That's a good word. <laughs> Anybody else? You can do a one word. Overwhelmed. Satisfied. Clean. Now you're talking. Now I got you coming. Incredible. Huh? And thankful. Listen. Huh? Off. So you guys got it. I don't know why you're timid about it. (laughs) 
You can't let me do everything because I'll get in some people's face and offend the heck out of them. I wish you'd come with me and offend them too because the gospel is offensive, especially when you make people. You know, the easiest way to preach the gospel is when people say something to you, say it back to them, and they see how silly it sounds. Another thing we need to stop doing is talking about each other. If you come to me, I've got three requirements for you if you're going to talk to me about somebody else in this church. One, is it good? Is what you're going to tell me something good? Well, maybe not. Is it true? I don't know. I heard it from somebody else. Is it useful to me? Maybe not. Then shut up. Because if you can't tell me something good about somebody, it would be better some true about somebody that's good in God and something useful for me so that I can pray or help or whatever. Then it's not important for you to share it at all. This means amen. amen. <laughs> Here's what happened when I this is a verse I showed them when they said that's too easy and one of them, other couple said, I'm too sinful. I don't think God would accept me. I said, you're telling me that God so loved the whole world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life, but, but you're the exception. <laughs> he said, well, maybe. I said, no, listen to this. Luke chapter 12, verse 32. Do not fear, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's who God is. That's who we represent. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, you've been pretty hard on me this week. Just studying for this has rocked me right to my soul. But I also know that when I feel and sense you're disciplining me, it makes me realize I'm really your child. Because you don't spank the devil's kids. And I appreciate that, Lord. But I pray that we would take these Beatitudes and reflect on them, meditate on them, listen to you, speak them, bow before you, let them pierce our souls, and then turn and worship you who is completeness of all of it. And thank you for your unspeakable salvation, your unspeakable gift. Amen.